Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. We're recording this surprisingly early, Monday at 4.10 p.m. Why am I getting it to it now, which is when I used to, but uh, haven't for a little while? Well, let's see. I've got a pair of Monday night football games. I've got racer mailbag questions to answer. And I figure if I do the Q&A podcast now... I can then sit on the couch, do mailbag answers, and enjoy a little bit of NFL football. So that's at least the strategy I've worked out in my head. And yeah, hey, thanks again for all the questions you sent in. Our pal Jerry Suduth put them together. And let me see, what did Jerry say here? Uh, We have questions this week. We have over 2,000 words and over 45 new questions on top of some of the questions held over from last week. So we got lots to get to. I am going to learn for once in my life to not suggest how long the episode's going to take before we record it. Uh, it's going to take a while. And yeah, we just had the IndyCar schedule come out. I know plenty of your questions are in and around that, plus some other stuff. So I did get a fresh cup of coffee going here. It's pretty good. I was thinking about cracking a beer open for this episode, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't want to start drinking this early. Uh, so as always, let's say a big thank you to Cooper Tires for supporting our show since, I don't know, 2016, I think, uh, 2017. The Justice Brothers who joined us at the beginning of 2018, Discount Tire New to us this year, like Cooper, massive supporters of the American Open Wheel Ladder and specifically the USF Championships. And then finally, our original partner, long-standing partner, very first in TorontoMotorsports.com, makers of, sellers of great motor racing memorabilia, TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, let's see. Why don't I start you off with one little factoid, then I'll share one little personal note. And then we will get rolling with the show. My friend Scott Richards, who is a passionate creator of IndyCar stats, IndyCar statistician, told me that he looked back and saw that with this 2024 IndyCar calendar, where we have the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and all 2.5 miles of its oval glory as the only big oval on the calendar, Everything else qualifies as a short oval ranging from 0.875 miles up to 1.25. So this is the first IndyCar schedule since 1964 with just one oval bigger than one and a half miles. This all in reference to losing the Texas Motor Speedway event and its amazing one and a half miles of high banking. So Pretty interesting uh, little note there. Thanks again to you, Scott. Last note here before we get going, and this is shared with trust. This is shared privately because just not wanting this to be a public thing. Um, my wife and I are back in the cancer fight. Um, that was news we got early last week. Um, she's in a pretty amazing place mentally with this spiritually with this, 
being the weaker of the two of us. And that's not said in any kind of self-deprecating way where I actually think I'm the stronger. I know I'm not. Uh, this has hit me way harder. Um, dealing with that as best I can. Um, was really happy and delighted that we had a couple of clear scans in a row. For those who aren't aware, most oncologists will tell you they want you to get to a minimum of five years, preferably 10, before, and that being five years of clean scans, no evidence of disease, uh, preferably 10 before you can feel confident that you have beaten whatever cancer it is that you have. And we got, a, I don't know exactly how long, maybe half a year, something like that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're kind of starting the clock over again. Uh, our, our new oncologist who we just absolutely love, um, has a regimen planned for us. He and she and I, uh, are super confident we are going to defeat what has returned and get back to uh, winning. But yeah, we're having to, uh, start the clock over again. <clears throat> I'll share this. This is just related to this. And again, please keep this to yourself. Uh, social media notes and well wishes as super kind as they are. Just really not something I know I or my wife want to uh, to have sitting out there. So again, please just keep this to yourselves. Um, so we get this diagnosis last early last week, right after I got back from uh, Indianapolis. And again, it's, it's not nothing new. We've had these diagnoses more often than we would like, but uh, felt like we were heading in a great direction of being free and clear and then had that turned upside down. And within 10 or 15 minutes of that diagnosis, we were done with the appointment. Um, doctors over in San Francisco I mean, by distance, it's not crazy far from we are where we are in the kind of the southern portion of the East Bay uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. But with the Bay Area's well-known traffic and all that, it's an hour plus to get there. And if you're leaving mid-afternoon, late afternoon, oh, it can be a lot more. So mention that because there is an urgency to get in, get out, get back on the road before traffic becomes a nightmare and so although the information received at this appointment is not what we were hoping for good plan of action these are the things we're going to do we're all in agreement thanks doc time for us to roll and so we roll head downstairs take the elevator downstairs and this is just one of those things y'all where you want if you did not already have a thousand percent appreciation for how the most important loved one in your life, right? And again, for me, it's my wife. For y'all, it might be whomever again. Uh, that, that's obviously a individual thing. But if, if you ever wanted to understand exactly how amazing the number one most important human being in your life happened to be, um, it's something that my wife demonstrated just being her 
And so here we are, 10 or 15 minutes after this diagnosis, taking the elevator down to leave the building. And she noticed um, the, the security person, the, the front desk there kind of has everybody sign in and whatnot. We signed in, obviously, when we got there, we're leaving. And my wife noticed and I noticed that she was fanning herself. Clearly, she was very hot. It was not a hot day, nor was it hot inside. But she just appeared to be hot and in a little bit of distress. And it was like super minor. You really had to pay attention to pick up on this. All I picked up on was that she was hot and you might assume she was thirsty. So my wife immediately said, hey, can we get you some water or something? And we always travel since we have a lot of appointments with multiple bottles of water and other things um, in our vehicle. So she said, yes, please, that, you know, that would be great. So I ran out, grabbed that. And in the meantime, coming back about a minute later, my wife had introduced herself, learned that her name was Lisa. And Lisa was definitely in more of a state of distress than just being thirsty. Um, this was mid-afternoon. And just in this brief minute conversation, my wife had found that she hadn't eaten that day. And for whatever reason, maybe she was late leaving, getting to work. She hadn't brought any food with her. So she's hungry and thirsty. And I think all those things are hot. All those things are conspiring against her. And we ended up leaving, although we could have left right then and there after handing her the water. Um, we left probably a half hour later, maybe 40 minutes later. And that pushed well into the clear zone of avoiding traffic. And I'm sitting in the car because she said, I'll be right there, my wife. And she wasn't, and I could see her inside, and she's talking with Lisa and talking with Lisa. And what she ended up doing, 10 or 15 minutes after getting another cancer diagnosis, is she stopped and put in the address of the office building and sat with Lisa and ordered lunch for her and also a little bit of dinner through DoorDash and then basically waited for it to be delivered. And this is not a let me tell you a tale so you think whatever thing, angelic things about my wife. It just struck me that like, I'm wanting to punch holes through the earth because I am so mad that she has to continue to go through this fight and was just riding a wave of, of faith and belief and hope and everything over the last six months that here we are. We appear to be on the road to getting to our first year and then maybe a second and a third and we can say it's done. And I'm again, I am just a ball of, of negative energy that I'm trying to mask and, and keep from my wife, Shabrell. And she, having received the very same news, sitting next to me and hearing the same exact words, was not receiving this in a negative way or as negative a way. And could have, knowing the urgency to get on the road and avoid traffic, just done all of those things and walked right out the door past Lisa, 
not noticing anything that she was going through. But instead, as my wife told me, there was something in her spirit that said, stop, just stop and, and check on her and see how she's doing. Cause I think there's something wrong. And this wasn't done as some sort of like, let me do a good deed to counteract some other bad news. This was just her being her amazing selfless self. And these are the little grace notes in life where I'll remember that more than the diagnosis. And it, trust me, it, it, I'm still livid and not livid at any one particular person. Just we're f- more than five years in now. And all I want for my wife is to be free of this. And we're not. And so, again, that's just something that I bear and will continue to bear. But the fact that she, the one who has way more of a green light to be kicking and punching things and screaming and mad to the high heavens, instead sees an opportunity to help someone who is in really low-key distress, um, but took the time and refused to just have me hand off a bottle of water and go. And I just, I'm like, as I've said many times before on my show and in person to some of y'all, she is my greatest gift in life uh, of all the things the Lord's given me. You know, <laughs> she is and always will be the greatest gift. And I never take that for granted, truly. But just seeing something like this where you go, yeah. If that was me receiving that diagnosis, I probably would have stormed out of there, crashed the car on the way home, and been more insufferable than ever. Uh, Seeing her just say, nope, this is what's true to me, and I'm going to demonstrate this care and love just for the purity of doing what is needed by another human being, Um, yeah, uh, just as beautiful as can be. So with that said, please keep that to yourself. Let's get going with your questions. I will do my best to get to as many as I can. Our pal, Jim Kaiser, who preceded Jerry looking after the questions for us here, sending in some 2024 schedule haiku. Thank you, Jim says next year's race lineup is as pleasant as a fart in a quiet church that's right y'all i don't know what other podcasts you listen to none of them are going to include indycar related haiku and one that uses one of my favorite turns of phrase referring to a fart in church jim kaiser boys and girls also one of life's immeasurable gifts um speaking of immeasurable gifts someone who has changed many lives in IndyCar through her just incalculable kindness and decency and giving nature, that being Cassie, a.k.a. at mama underscore G-Force. Please follow her if you don't. By the way, I failed to mention, going to do something new because I'm getting more and more inquiries about, hey, this Day listener group that seems to have a lot of fun between races, connecting with each other and talking about the sport and life and whatever else, and then also get together at the, the races. How do I join up with them? And I usually give the email address here, which is prudayrocks at gmail.com, and read that out during the show. 
and I'm sure I've read it wrong and given false info and mess some of y'all up who've been wanting to join. I'm going to do something new as recommended by good pal Matt Philpot, who's one of the uh, the OGs of the Prude Listener Group. Just going to start dropping it into the description of the show. So if you want to join the Prude, wondered how, look for that address in the description. Send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. You'll get an auto response from them. I now understand how that works, thanks to Matt, and they will uh, help onboard you from there. Uh, but yeah, Cassie is one of the amazing folks, uh, part of the Prude as well. She says, and hello, Craig, and hello, little star child of the, uh, the Craig and Mama G-Force family there. Says, hey, MP, I'm on a social media hiatus. So I'm just pretending that everyone's being totally normal and rational about the schedule. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> she says, hashtag me personally. Uh, I am so excited to go back to Milwaukee. Any word on promotion plans to fill the seats, concerts, big sponsors? Great question, Cassie. That was my first question for our guy, Penske Entertainment CEO Mark Miles on a conference call today and didn't go into crazy details as to the how, but did suggest that there's going to be pretty heavy involvement from Penske Entertainment with the Wisconsin State Fair Board, which is the primary promoter of the event. Will they search for a title sponsor that would spend enough to allow the hiring of the musical artists that are somewhat in the the ilk of the ones we've seen high v bring to folks at iowa maybe um i don't know if replicating the iowa model is something that they want to do maybe somebody asked that later in the little teleconference i checked out after i got my answers from mark and then uh good guy jack benyon got his uh from the race and then i checked out after that so maybe others asked this and i'm just speaking out the side of my face but didn't hear anything about hey we're gonna try and do a iowa at milwaukee i would hope they wouldn't to start um not saying they can't or shouldn't do some cool stuff whether it's making sure there's great beer and food available and super fun and entertaining for kids but part of me thinks that this event has enough history to it that trying to do too much the first time out of the gate might be something that falls a little too far from what the event's historical fans are looking for. Uh, It seems like a great year two thing for me, Cassie, of like, okay, you want to add some additional bells and whistles? Cool. But like, let's really get this right the first time out and really focus on this being a beloved historic IndyCar event. So I don't know if they're going to do anything super extra, but I hope they don't. Uh, As for big sponsors, I haven't heard of anything yet, but knowing that the major step in the process was coming to terms with the promoter there, uh, getting the governor on board who was there for the announcement, and it feels like there's good momentum in kind of starting up the band again. My guess might be a week a month two months three i'm not sure but it feels like feels like they're going to have a decent primary sponsor for this knowing penske and his reach 
even if it's just more of a B2B thing with one of the sponsors we regularly see uh, across his three Indy cars, I got to believe they'll find something. I know that they know as well that this is something that has to be strong on debut. So the hoping folks will ring out of the woodwork to say, hi, I want to sponsor whatever. And of course you hope that happens, but that's not a real plan. Hope is not a plan. So my guess is we're going to see the Penske entertainment side pushing really hard within their known contacts. Any others possibly provided uh, from within uh, governor's office or others who are known to be super active in uh, the general West Alice, Milwaukee area who might want to come on board uh, on top of any kind of major national type sponsors that Penske Entertainment might introduce. As for the how do we fill the place, it's another great question. And as much as I'd love to have an answer, it's just way too soon because we got to know what do you have in terms of major event sponsors? What then allows, if you have someone writing or a few companies writing big checks over the top of this thing, what does that allow you to do with tickets, right? Are we able to have enough profits coming in from major event sponsors to where we don't need to rely on the ticket buying audience to be the main financial generator for this event? So it's just some of those things, Cassie. And you go, hey, depending on who it is right is it a local grocery store chain is it a who knows something big and local that has a lot of community connections where you go okay doing a ticket package where if you buy this you get a ticket for half price again some of these things are just going to play out uh in the coming days weeks and months so yeah uh crossing many fingers toes anything possible with the hope that this thing we've been hoping for going to have the uh a meeting of identical response from the community and maybe even the country uh to come here and make sure that we fill seats have seats that aren't crazy expensive and this thing becomes something cool and sustainable for uh new generations to enjoy along with uh grandmas and grandpas uh let's see where do we go <laughs> jeff thompson <laughs> it's not often we get a, a two-word submission here and i guess technically it's maybe four words but an acronym texas comma wtf yeah uh let me just scroll down here real quick i apologize i want to see how many other texas related questions we have because i'm either loaded all here or say all right looks like we're gonna load it all up kind of sort of here um oh also uh gordon martinez how you doing gordon and also cody oakwood uh also mentioned longtime texas motor speedway attender is this a one-year hiatus just for the olympics so here's what i understand um and i have a, a deep long-standing affinity for texas motor speedway but maybe that makes me crazy dumb both i don't know those shouldn't be revelations to you as well um, having been there since the inaugural IndyCar race, seen some of its greatest races up close in person, and as someone, whether the grandstands have been full or almost empty, uh, place has just held uh, a real soft spot in my heart. 
hate seeing it go. Uh, I've reached out, did reach out to the track to try and get some input from them. It was as the cup race was going on last weekend. Did not get a response, probably due to that, but who knows? Maybe they just didn't want to return. Don't know. Again, whatever. Not a big deal, but did try to get the tracks version of things. Maybe I'll speak with them tomorrow and get it. But as for now, I only have the series side and the phrase it takes two to tango was said to me many many times i know that indycar proposed all kinds of things none of them were met by the track with a yes let's do it written about this so apologize for those who've already read it but indycar proposed hey you got this nascar date i forget exactly when in april um we could join that right we join that even if we're you know bottom rung of the totem pole here we 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 could do that nope okay well there's a weekend free immediately after the cup race that would fit into our schedule in april um why don't we do that nope uh don't want to have our two big events on back-to-back weekends so i understand that right Last option that I'm aware was pitched was, well, okay, so then April doesn't work and we're going to end up having this big gap. But what about September? Yeah, this Olympics thing that y'all have mentioned, so it is a bit of a black hole created in the middle of the schedule (coughs) leading to pushing some things forward or compressing things on the pre-Olympic side also pretty heavy compression on the post olympic side so things are pretty darn busy leading up to and then immediately after the olympics for indycar there's one weekend between what milwaukee and nashville where i think that is what was meant to be the texas weekend and we're told no So I obviously reserve Jeff and Gordon and Cody and and others. I obviously can only share the one side of the story I've been told. Been told it a couple times and from some folks who know of which they speak. But is there another side to this from Texas Motor Speedway that I'm unaware of? It's possible. But at least as it's been presented to me, the IndyCar series tried multiple times to find solutions that fit within their modified wonky olympics affected schedule there was nothing within indycar that i've heard of or known of that involved them not wanting to go back to texas so lots of effort to try and stay wasn't met with the same degree of vigor as i am told and here we are without a Texas Motor Speedway event for the first time in IndyCar since 1997. Let me rephrase that. 97 was the inaugural, so technically the year before. Uh, But since IndyCar started going there, this is the first time we will hold a season without TMS on the calendar. Ask Mark Miles as well. Hey, so is this one, one and done, meaning... Actually, that's the completely wrong way to describe this. Scratch that. I won't edit that out. 
Uh, is this the indicator that it's just a one-year pause and we could go back, or does not going there, is that the death knell of IndyCar at Texas? Mark said no. Um, I've had others say no as well. So, But again, IndyCar would be there if their wishes were granted at one of those three options that were pitched. Next year should not have the same Olympics-related... I'm sorry, not next year. 2025 should not have the same schedule compression, and therefore there should be no issue for IndyCar to race at Texas again. Is there a willingness within the Texas Motor Speedway group, their owners, uh, at Speedway Motorsports Incorporated? We'll have to see. Um, again, this is... What means a lot here is instead of having at least one IndyCar race and at least one cup race per season at Texas, which it has had for forever, at its peak, it had, what, two IndyCar races? There were times when we went there multiple times per year. Uh, Cup, been there, what, two times, many times, maybe even three? I don't know. There were times where, boy, heading to good old Denton, Texas was a really important thing that happened a lot of times per year for major motor racing series. With this 2024 schedule, Cup, with its full ladder of touring series, Cup goes once, and that's it. There's nothing else that any of us would consider to be major hitting the uh, one and a half mile banked oval. I hope the place survives. And I'm not saying losing IndyCar would bring its survival into question, but these are not the actions of a track that give me crazy, crazy confidence at least. Andrew Miller, you are up next. You say, is that second new Peacock only race next year, that being at Milwaukee, by the way, a blip due to the Olympic schedule crunch, or is that the start of the new normal if that NBC contract gets re-upped in 2025? Well, we've got a, another Milwaukee question or two here. Referring back to that Zoom call with Mark Miles and other leadership today, I don't remember who asked. Maybe he mentioned it on his own, but topic of Milwaukee being a doubleheader. I believe Mark said, however he said it, that wouldn't necessarily factor this into being a standard thing in the future. I perceive that to mean could be going back to Texas, who knows, or it could just be something that becomes a standard single Sunday only race. Um, and again, there are some other venues IndyCar is hoping to, uh, to look at for the future. So the overarching thing here, Andrew, is I look at, and Miles seemed to confirm, turning Milwaukee into a doubleheader was really a byproduct of a need to get to 17 races with the absence of Texas. So I think whether it's going back to Texas or if they don't go somewhere else, it's a points-paying event. could be pretty easy just to convert that back to a single. And with that being a single, I do believe we're talking 2025, that would be a NBC or USA Network thing. 
do believe this is strictly a byproduct of the Olympic schedule. Concerns me, though, as it does everybody else involved with the series. And it's not because we love to hate on Peacock. It's this is a numbers-driven sport. (laughs) Not only how you finish in the races, but also how you finish in the ratings and what kind of numbers you put up. So, little quick note. Remember when, might have been August, might have been July, whatever, NBC's promotional side sent out a some sort of uh, attaboy, rah-rah ratings thing about, again, seeing some biggest numbers in the history of ever type deal. And it was very specific in the data that it used, right? Dropping the Toronto race, that's only been aired on Peacock. And we know that those Peacock ratings numbers are as tiny as tiny can be. If IndyCar ratings were a MC Marvel Cinematic Universe character, they'd be Ant-Man. Like, shrunk down to whatever the tiniest microbe size possible in terms of ratings. Not the super gigantic guy, uh that he can blow himself up to, which would be NBC. Um, So knowing that, yeah, seeing a second Peacock event, it struck me as a Olympics-related accommodation. Mark Miles in that conversation today did mention and go pretty heavily towards the end about how Peacock's important IndyCar, it's important NBC, and... You know, he put some extra emphasis on that, and that's uh, not what I asked about. So when folks put in things like that into an answer, got to understand that there's a reason for it, whether it's them trying to make folks happy by talking about the thing or trying to send a general message that more of that could be on the way. So unless there is... A crazy scenario where, let's say the 2025 calendar, 17 races again, and 15 of those are on NBC, the big network. 14's on the big network, okay? And one of those is on USA, okay? It's going to give you three, 400,000 viewers, maybe nothing like the million or so you tend to get, hope to get on NBC yeah the barely watching numbers for practice and qualifying on peacock you know uh five digit viewership and then crazy low crazy low maybe six digit for the race you can withstand two of those maybe even three if pretty much all the others are on the big network and giving you a super strong number to promote and like that raw raw piece from not too long ago that piece information disseminated by nbc you just omit the streaming side and stick to the linear network stuff i don't see though andrew how as indycar is trying to get bigger trying to grow show itself to be stronger trying to give its teams better numbers to ask more from sponsors or to court new sponsors this is just a, a strange things that does not converge, right? So NBC wants to, and rightfully so, 
put more on Peacock, grow more awareness, have that become a bigger, stronger thing. I think we all generally accept that the days of sitting in front of the television connected to cable and cable alone to watch motor racing, we know we're headed towards the end of that sometime sooner than later. So we know streaming-ish type stuff is the wave of the future. It's just not now. So what I don't know, to close on this, is how that inevitability gets merged with the reality of today where most teams really do need to see Nielsen ratings, those TV ratings that matter to use that number to get as much money as possible from their sponsors. There's a little caveat here, and I didn't go into it in my little column about all this just because and you could write about this stuff all day. you got to cut it off somewhere. But there are some teams who, more in the, the business-to-business side, where they're less interested in how many eyeballs are on their company's name on a side pod and more interested in how many deals they can strike with other businesses while in the hospitality suite of Team X at whatever race. There's another side, though. Because the B2B side, I think, is fairly well known. But the the digital presence side. Spoke with one kind of veteran marketing guru today uh, among the couple that I spoke to while putting together that column. And they mentioned, look, <laughs> the digital side, the social side, the reach through TikTok, IG, and so on is one of the most important one of the two most important things to us and so it's great that we got a 1.1 million audience size at race whatever it's great there's nothing negative about that but we're not tied to that number so much as we are the kind of reach the kind of impressions that we can get through social media, through digital means. And so, again, this thing's constantly evolving. The idea that your audience size, the ratings number, is how you monetize traditional sponsorships. Again, it seems a bit old-timey and archaic, but it is still the standard. And even though more teams are, a growing number of teams are more reliant on B2B deals than straight up, I'm giving you X millions of dollars to put my name on your car so it can be seen and folks see the name and they go buy the product or the service that we sell. Even if that seems to be an ever-diminishing thing, that ratings number is still important to an awful lot of folks. So, yeah, that's where Peacock, Despite being important, um, it does not jive with those who need to put up quality numbers as many times as possible throughout a season. Uh, let's go to JJ Magnum. It says Milwaukee was a mainstay on the calendar for years. What was the driving force behind those years? Why come back now when there's so many other options that haven't been on the schedule? Um, great question. And so here's another well-known truth. I think IndyCar, Jay Fry might be about the highest member 
of its leadership who's active on social media if i know i think mark miles has a burner account or at least pretends to be mark miles and believe it or not i don't think roger penske's cranking out too many tiktoks but i know from what i see fired at jay fry on a regular basis it's why doesn't indycar go to track a or b or c it'd be great to go here instead of there uh again or some iteration of that and i know the the general thought somewhat joking is like well like they have our number right if they wanted us to be there um they could absolutely call us and say hey uh, come to our place like <laughs> again it, it might be an oversimplification but there's a really strong element of so if you want to go to dinner like invite me to dinner but if you're not calling and not inviting me um i'm getting a pretty solid understanding you aren't interested in having me there with you and that might sound a bit passive or completely passive but we have a scenario here where indycar like most series sporting you name it that has an option to wander and and go to this venue or that venue i mean they tend to respond to the ones who reach out and say hey we want you there on occasion you have indycar doing the outreach themselves where they're like hey you know what we need another oval jay fry did that with phoenix remember back in what was it 2016 was it when we returned went there for two or three years unfortunately wasn't enough of an audience to sustain it but it's him picking up the phone relationships develop that off we went there was a plan in place to go back to richmond jay has said in interviews that too was reaching out to the track president track president was all for it did a deal off we go COVID hit track president ended up retiring new president didn't have the same interest get through COVID, and well that same invite and willingness no longer there indycar is not there i believe indycar's presence at the thermal club i'm trying to remember back the exact string of how it came together I think it might have been Greg Penske who met with the folks there first a couple of years ago, and I could be wrong. I mean, that's how it was told to me, but I haven't gone and independently verified that with Greg. But um, I know Jay has been, so I guess I keep coming back to Jay here, but uh, I know Jay's been kind of centrally involved in making the thermal thing come together. Michael Montry, uh, the VP of Penske Entertainment, he tends to be the point person uh for events so i know he's on the phone constantly with folks who send inquiries saying hi uh i don't know if we want to have a race but we could let's talk um but it is very much of a who's calling you and inviting you to dinner type scenario instead of the series calling around who might want to go dine with them 
again, with exception to a couple of the instances I just mentioned, is how it tends to work. So I don't know if that's the right answer for what it should be, but in this case, I know that with Milwaukee, uh, there were some inquiries. I know there was also interest from IndyCar, and this seemed like one of those both sides coming to an understanding at similar times or on similar timelines and continuing to find ways to make it happen. So that's how I understand this here. Uh, There was an understanding that Milwaukee was getting back into the bigger professional racing event game, right? Having gone quiet for a little while. Arca was there, what? I forget which, was it trucks? I forget who exactly, but a couple examples. Some interest expressed. IndyCar seeing that, hey, those are serious racing championships. This might be the time for us to see if we can go back. We've had these long-held discussions as well of IndyCar needs more ovals. No point in time did anybody <laughs> from the series talking to Milwaukee about adding it back think it would need to become a double header because they'd be losing Texas, but that's reality. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are many other options, tons of options, dozens of options, but options in terms of they physically exist as a racing track. Therefore, it's an option compared to, hey, Pocono's on the phone saying, we want you to come back through your deal. Let's go. Here's the money. Boom. Uh, Kentucky says, off we go pick again talladega's on the phone atlanta motor speedway's on the again there's dozens of air quote options but if you look at how many of those options have actually expressed an interest or even consider indycar viable right a lot of the nascar owned tracks aren't bending over backwards to welcome indycar um the amount of places that really truly are open for IndyCar to go where they aren't going right now, there's some sort of key thing missing where you go, oh, cool, yeah, that's totally easy to convert into an actionable item. That'll be on the calendar next year or the year after. Uh, Chris Ludwig, uh, well, you say, love you, Marsha, and all you do for the sport. Well, that's kind of you, Chris. I don't know if I what i do for the sport other than just doing my job that's sweet of you uh you say any idea what's keeping long beach off of nbc next year it seems indycar would want the exposure is it a case nbc pricing it out of reach knowing that race can help drive viewers to their pay channels or simply a scheduling conflict with another event nbc deems of higher value i don't know my brother um getting the rundown of why nbc chose this channel or that channel uh haven't had that discussion yet i do know that it stood out as a huh guess i've never thought of long beach if at all possible to be anything other than a marquee broadcast event meaning put it on the big network because it's a the second biggest most well-known event on the indycar calendar but the fact that it's on usa network I mean, I just have to follow what seems to be complete logic here, Chris. If NBC was available, Long Beach would be on it. 
So I don't know what it is, but whatever it is on that day that is taking NBC, I have to assume it's a pretty big deal. What's going to be hilarious if it's like the day they're launching their version of like ESPN 8, the Ocho, like obscure uh, sports. So I got to assume it's not that. So yeah, the fact that Long Beach is on USA Network tells us we can expect whatever it is, and I'm sure I could go Google what important things are happening on this day in sports in 2024, but yeah, if it ain't NBC, it's getting bumped by something NBC considers to be mo bigger and mo better. Uh, at athletic underscore geek 89. I love your names here. This may be an ignorant question to ask, but do you think the IndyCar schedule will ever increase the amount of points races in the next five years? Uh, I do. I've been told by one senior IndyCar official, and this was disputed by another. Uh, I trust the first one, the person who told it to me, more than the person who disputed it. Uh, yeah, I've been told there is a desire to expand the calendar to go beyond 17 races uh, 17, 18, 19, maybe even 20. And I realize we have this new thing of the non-points race slash demo race deal. Thermal Club, first instance of the non-points thing. As I understand more about it, and I realize that some folks at the series have spoken of it in this way, but I, I don't know if it's ever landed with me fully in this regard, but... It is more. This is IndyCar's version of an all-star race. The exact mechanisms that make it feel like an all-star race, right? I know that there are heats and the top six are going to transfer from this and from that. And like I realize that there are mechanisms in place, but do those mechanisms make it feel like an all-star race, right? If on the day uh driver x who's normally getting their butt handed to them either goes down the inside when 10 other cars are crashing on the outside and they transfer through or you know who knows i don't know if that falls with me as an all-star type thing the fact that this is happening after a single championship race okay also you know, if I'm thinking some of the more traditional means, hey, you want to race, you're in the all-star race. Hey, you know, pick some things. You want to poll, you're in the all-star race. Like, we're only going to have one race by the time we do this in thermal. So, again, we'll see. The the lineup for the, the final, the all-star race, is going to be the thing that tells us whether it's a true all-star race or... Who knows if it's some sort of fluky thing. I hope it all works great. I hope we're all like, oh, it's amazing. This is just the top 12 or whatever best IndyCar drivers in the planet going for a million bucks. Like, I hope that's everything that happens. I just don't know if it will because it hasn't happened yet. So uh, there's that. But yes, uh, we've got that. We've got the, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, I hope it does. The Argentinian non-points race. Uh so here's two non-points races that could be on the calendar next season. We know one will for sure at Thermal California. Could be two. That would take us to 19 races total, 17 of those points paying. Um, I think we're going to end up with 
one, assuming the thermal deal works and however that million dollars is being funded um, is something that continues to happen, I think that could become a thing that we could have happening 2025, 26. You know, that could be a thing where we have this annual non-points, all-star-ish type thing. I've only heard the trip to Argentina being a one and done. And who knows if it happens and folks love it and whatever, could that become something we do more than once? Again, we're all plain and hypothetical. So who see, we'll have to see. But to your point, look, if we're going to go race, truly race, I'd want it to count. And so if we're going to get to 18 real races a year, 19 real races a year, plus one non-points type deal, I'm super good with that. Obviously, there's got to be money to support that. Doing extra IndyCar races, stupid statement alert here, costs IndyCar teams more money, more miles on the engines, which means the leases would go up, more tires are necessary, which means the tire lease would go up, yada, yada, yada. Um, More hotel nights, more flights more rental car days more per diem all the things that cost money but i hope that happens and i hope that there's more money generated through the leader circle to give money back to those teams that have them um again doing 17 races a year as indycar has done for a good while now it's not a bad thing stability not a bad thing but yeah just to close here it does feel like Hey, the thermal thing's cool, but it's made up, right? We're not racing there. Another thing I heard, and I can say this is on very good account. It's the first time I've heard numbers applied. If someone else has mentioned them or written about it, I apologize. I've missed it. Uh, but I've heard somewhere between three and 4,000 tickets slash seats or whatever you want to call I don't know if we're going to have that many seats. A lot of this might just be general admission stand and watch type areas but i've heard the number thermal is thinking of and planning for is somewhere between three and four thousand people not a giant number feels like i've been to a texas race and a fontana race and some other races where that might be about as many as we had at points paying events but Having been to Thermal, walked around a fair bit, I'd say that if there were three to 4,000 people there, I think it would actually feel decently populated. It, there's not a lot of free space around the joint. So if that's three to 4,000 people packing in in the first couple and final couple of corners in and around the paddock, like I think it might actually feel pretty comfy assuming we sell all three to 4,000 tickets. And by we, I mean the sport that we love and and hope continues to thrive. So anyways, um, but to the greater point here, if IndyCar is growing, getting better and stronger and TV ratings are up and all these things, you'd like to see that interest given back, right? In terms of those folks picking up the phone and saying, hi, come to this new venue. Points paying, full championship round. That, to me, speaks to growth. 
if we are just limited to the same old places we always go or go back to a place we always went and are having to make up uh, uh, an all-star race and maybe do a one-off thing down to uh, Latin America, but that's it. Again, I don't know if those are the strongest indicators that I'd want to see that everything is good and rocking and rolling. All right, let's keep the old party moving here. Where do we go? Peter Carlson, sad to see Texas not on the schedule, but happy with Milwaukee back. That said, how about having Michigan International Speedway return as the high-speed oval complement to Indy? Saw lots of exciting cart and champ car races at MIS. Sure, IndyCar would absolutely work well there. Your thoughts? Totally agree. Would love to go back there tomorrow. Uh, again, this is just one of those. They ain't calling. They ain't calling me. They calling me. Well, in this instance, they ain't calling me. Uh, yeah, I haven't been to Michigan since 2005, maybe six. I don't know. Four somewhere in there. Love the joint. Miss the joint. Um, yeah, be amazing. Just please. If you know someone there, Peter, uh, tell them to, uh, look under the couch and find many millions of dollars and then call IndyCar and say, hi, we want to give that to you. And we're going to promote the heck out of this and come race here and that'd be amazing because you're right uh <laughs> boy uh, it involves some youtubing y'all but if you haven't uh go watch especially some 90s cart even 80s cart uh races at michigan international speedway wow that place is a monster now granted 1996 uh the u.s 500 I don't know if that was the best one ever, but um, yeah, some pretty amazing stuff there. Uh, JJ Gertler, you say for a tight, barely banked bullring like Milwaukee, our car is likely to start with a road course setup rather than a low drag, high speed oval setup. You say speeds and banking look more like uh, speeds and banking look more like Portland than Iowa. Well. Yeah, it is a place that gets spoken of a, a bunch, you know, like a, a road course type setup. And yeah, uh, there's no argument that since you don't have a ton of banking and I don't think we're going to be, um, uh, doing any kind of crazy, massively staggered, uh, tires for the event. Yeah. I would say that the old adage about Milwaukee, and again, brother, this goes back decades and decades, not me saying anything revelatory. Um, this is for sure a place that we think of in more road racing terms than anything. Uh, this is making two very hard lefts and very long lefts while going along at a high rate of speed. And so where the low downforce high straight line speed angle probably wouldn't be the one I would choose. It's that you spend so darn much time in the corners where that cornering speed and the speed off of those corners is really and truly crucial. So there'll always be somebody or two people who go the opposite direction, hoping to find lightning in a bottle. But yeah, this is having a car that can go very, very, very fast in a straight line, but then needs to make a super abrupt and very swift 
left heading into turn one and turn three uh, in a flat stance with no banking whatsoever. So I realize that there might seem like there's some parallels to Gateway. Eh, not a crazy, crazy, some, some for sure, but not total crazy amount. Um, certainly not Iowa, which is nice and banked. Um, yeah, this place is different, but it'll be cool. I mean, the other thing that'll be cool is especially for the, uh, the race engineers who've been there many times before, um, I would expect them to know the way around there more than some of the newer race engineers who haven't had to do the crazy stonking speed and then hang a sharp left and maintain most of that speed. It will be the one of the most unique engineering challenges that gets faced all year long. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? Why don't we go to Jamie Carr? Marshall. It's great to see you, by the way, brother. You also, well, you open by saying, good to see you Sunday at IMS and best of your family. Thank you, brother. Say Sunday morning, I was down by turn one watching morning warm up. Same spot I was at for the first IndyCar Grand Prix in May. It seemed to me the GTP cars, their braking zone was smaller. They slowed down faster and in a shorter amount of space than the IndyCars. You say, is that accurate? Saying how do Indy cars and GTP cars compare in speed, acceleration, and braking? Well, I wish I had all that data in front of me. Jamie says, finally, for IndyCar fan, an IndyCar fan that has the ability to see IMSA race with G GTP, do it, he says, all caps. You will not be disappointed. Um, so during the event, and I guess I could probably look after and maybe find it, during the event, IMSA restricts information that its teams can access. Things like splits, trap speeds, etc. Um, and so I did ask the series for some help with some of that information with the GTP car, so I could compare it to IndyCar. And I think even IndyCar, I could be wrong, but I think they might hold a little bit of that stuff back. But um, also reached out to one IndyCar race engineer friend and said, hey, uh, IMSA's telling me that least in the session right before qualifying the gtp cars were hitting about 191 miles per hour into turn one uh how does that compare what do you recall uh, when we were here just what in august for the second gp and they said yeah and again obviously temperature and you know ambient conditions can alter things a bit but they said yeah that's actually really really close with indycar there so Cool to see that, knowing that the GTP cars are a couple hundred pounds heavier, Jamie. Uh, I did not go down to compare braking differences, but I would say that with the energy recovery systems, the hybrid systems in the GTP cars, ones that have the motor generator units connected to the transmission, which are therefore connected to the rear wheels, get spun up to harvest energy under braking, GTP cars for sure have a level of rear braking assistance that Indy cars do not. So haven't asked for distance comparisons between an Indy car and a GTP car. So I'm just having to go off of your info, but also knowing some of the general items here. And yeah, while an Indy car is lighter and should be able to go deeper and later into the braking zone, uh, depending on how much, a GTP 
entry is harvesting under breaking into turn one, it could be a really powerful, powerful form of breaking assistance uh, to slow them down a little faster and a little later. So there's that. As for acceleration, I just don't have that data in front of me, brother. But it was indeed awesome to see you in that TWR Jaguar shirt. I am still so jealous of that. Uh, Bill Romine, and if it's Bill Romine, I apologize for getting your last name wrong, brother. Don't hesitate to tell me how to pronounce it correctly. Next time, you say, how has your opinion changed, if so, about IndyCar since your birthday when Roger Penske gave you his opinion of your opinion? (laughs) Uh, For those who fortunately don't remember or weren't listeners back then, uh, last December, I was in Daytona for the group gtp test and some other testing going on uh from what the 5th through the 7th of december the 7th being my birthday and uh that morning i'd written a non-complimentary piece about indycar uh we'll go a little call back to our pal jim kaiser uh farting in church pooping the bed with uh the spiking of the 2.4 liter twin turbo v6 engine formula in order to stay with the 2.2 liter formula, which would allow Chevy and Honda to take big parts of their development budget away from the 2.4, apply that to making the new energy recovery system and keeping IndyCar from failing, uh, from not going hybrid in 2024. So I wrote a very honest piece. It was a highly consulted piece as well. I feel like I might've mentioned that, but um let's just say i spent a lot of time sitting and listening to folks with direct knowledge as to every single thing that happened um and yeah this wasn't although i might have presented some of it as paddock chatter air quotes because sometimes that's what you have to do to not reveal the messengers um yeah uh this there was no question about the accuracy or validity of anything that was written both in the straight news story about killing the 2.4 liter formula and all the reasons. And then my opinion piece, which again was non-complimentary because there was nothing to compliment. Um, Roger then uh, red faced shouting, spitting, not intentionally spitting, but whether a person intends to spit in your face or not, when they're shouting so loud and mouth is so wide open and so close to yours that you are getting their spittle on your face. Uh, that might be a little bit too much um mr penske was non-complimentary of my non-complimentary column opinion piece and anything else that i wrote on the subject uh we haven't revisited it since then i don't particularly have a desire or need to revisit um so i can't tell you if his opinion of my opinion has changed um that's the job right like I think I mentioned back then, like maybe even since, like you do this long enough, you know the stuff that's going to piss people off. You don't write things to piss people off. You just come to know their points of sensitivity. Still have to do the job, even if it means they're going to scream and yell at you and spit in your face and have others go after you and keep going after you and keep going after you. Yeah. Um, Look, it might have really pissed me off at the time because I thought it was way over the top and uh, more under trying to control the news than respecting the independence 
of news outlets, regardless, um, got a job to do, do the job. I think I do a decent job of it most of the time. Not all the time, but um, if that's respected by those in power and authority, cool. If not, again, I can't change how folks react, but I do know that still have a job to do. And so that's not being said, Bill, in a flippant way or anything like that. It's just, it's true. Um, this is not a job you do for popularity. Uh, sometimes you have to write things that you know are going to stress, maybe even break relationships. You'd hope that they come back together into a good and happy place. Uh, the one that you're referencing here certainly falls into that category. Um, Roger said, a handful of words to me in June uh, at Lamont. I haven't seen him directly uh, other than I think riding up the elevator after uh, he won the Indy 500. Uh, so yeah, that was actually prior to June since I'm trying to remember my dates good. Um, didn't say anything there. I think I congratulated Tim Sindrick who was standing right next to him. Uh, but other than that, yeah. Um, since then, haven't actually been more than 15 or 20 feet within one another since that uh, brief passing encounter at Le Mans. And yeah, we'll see what happens from there. But you know, he goes about his business. I go about mine. And ultimately, his responsibility is to those who work for him. And my responsibility is to those who are like you, Bill who either read what I write or listen or view whatever it is that I make and to my clients. So I'm in a, uh, the same old good place I've been. Uh, Jake Rose, as we start, do we wind down a little bit here? Yeah, we're not too far from the end. Again, this is a little bit of an overtime episode. That's what happens when you announce a schedule that is not universally popular. Uh, Jake, you say, yo, MP. See, I like that. Real simple. Yo, MP. Those words are said to me on a somewhat frequent basis by closer friends. Works perfectly. Thanks, Jake. This was curious if you'd give your own little state of the series. Some things certainly need to be improved. More races, another engine supplier, chassis, video game, etc. But all in all, the series growth seems to be improving, albeit gradually. Curious in your general thoughts. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on everything you mentioned here. I'm feeling positive about where IndyCar is headed. The back of my pea brain, I have kept the hoping everything goes well on the hybridization front so that we can go hybrid next year and both manufacturers will be completely happy. Uh, I've had that, again, kind of a quiet monitoring as often as I can, not something to really put in print because, again, if there's a problem, of course I'm going to write about it because that's what you're supposed to do, but I haven't seen a problem yet, so haven't written that. Hope I have no reason to write and that everything goes well there. Um, the, the growing thing that stands out if we're talking state of the series, right? You can hit all of the kind of stump speech items, right? The ratings are up, the attendance is up, the, there's more passing than ever. These are all things that are real and positive. Cannot say with any legitimacy that IndyCar is stronger than it's ever been. That's not true. We know that. 
been there, seen IndyCar, what it looks like when it's a raging monster of success. Just because it's not that doesn't mean it's failing, though, right? Uh, we don't live in like super binary times like that, where if it's not the best, then it's a failure. If that's the case, pretty much everything and everyone in life is a failure. So, again, it might get hard for those of us, some of us who've been around for a while, who've seen it at its peak, to say complimentary things. But I think if you're being reasonable or honest, you can pick out the positives, many of those that I've just mentioned. Some other cool things, right? We still have some amazing veterans, right? Scott Dixon being the leading example. Dude who's over 40, kicking ass. P2 in the championship, wins three of the, what, last four races. Brand new race engineer. The two of them click. I think Alex Pillow is going to be hard to displace next year, but I am more encouraged about that happening, the possibility of that happening from his six-time champion teammate than I have been since Pillow joined the team in 2021. We have some phenomenal young talent along with Pillow, right? Kyle Kirkwood, two-time winner this year. Christian Lundgaard, welcome to victory lane. Huge for him. Colton Hurd, a bit of a down year. Last year was a bit of a down year. There were some improvements for sure, but Pato Award, I know he didn't win a race, but right, none of us have any question, legitimate question in our mind as to whether that kid could win every race next year um we have this amazing young talent emergence in the series some of these as you've heard me say been around for a little while now right pato's not exactly brand new but i mean the kid's still what uh 24 <laughs> right um think about some of the others too callum Ilot, right showing super well davy malukas right good lord mclaren driver he's a little bit older but still newish that being scotty mclaughlin p3 in the championship i mean it's just ridiculous so the driver talent side the generational side as well i'd say for sure jake it's huge right do we have as many big name stars as there once were if we just wind the clock back to what five years ago no of course not right granted i think elio was in sports cars full-time by that point so again i might be off by a year or two or whatever but you know you think about your ryan hunter ray being you know regular race winner leader of the team type deal elio again vying for titles pagino and such sato being you know quality front running ish type driver tony canon still there had a, a pretty decent willpower too pretty decent you know changing of the guard still going on here and yet you look to 2023 and go wow, there's a bunch of youth doing really big things. If they're not young, young in terms of physical age, tenure in IndyCar, right? Marcus Erickson hasn't exactly been here forever, uh, but in the four or five years, whatever that he has, boy, he's become 
pretty big player and pretty popular as well. Already mentioned McLaughlin. Uh, New Garden, fascinating, right? That guy has the talent to be the champion every year, but we're, what, four years removed since his last, and he's been winning a ton of races, but that championship formula has been elusive to him. Mentioned Lungard, him rising up. Rossi, a little bit back to form. Some others in here, too. Renus VK, I think if that kid's end-of-season form can be carried over, like, I'm stoked about where his year could go next year. So, Augustine Canapino, right? Greatest story of 2023, and yeah, I know there's the ugly social media side with whatever amount of his fans, but just strictly on the driving side. Holy cow, right? What a crazy and amazing story. It's a lot of cool things here. Some of these are a little inside baseball, but if we're talking real state of the union, I can say, hey, yep, we might not have nothing but Castro Neves's and Hunter Reyes's and Montoya's and some of these, again, kind of, wow, these are legend-type drivers. Bordeaux's but we are not lacking in talent or skill, and we can see that some of these younger, newer drivers deserve. They'll be stepping into those roles here in the coming years of the wow, right? A lot of you who are newer to IndyCar in five or ten ten years from now will be telling folks about how you saw, or whether it was live or on TV, you saw Christian Lundgaard win his first race. You saw Kyle Kirkwood win his first race. As you're talking about, you know, the three-time champ and two-time Indy 500 winner. Again, whether it's one of those two uh, knuckleheads or someone else, like, they will fill those roles. And so I'm loving that and where we're at. The car and engine stuff, the engine stuff, right? Hey, we're getting this energy recovery system, which is cool. The motors, still the same motor since we've had that we've had since 2012 in terms of the formula. Uh, I don't know how much that excites me, but chassis been around for a long time. They still look good, right? That, that 2018 bodywork update, it still looks really good. Aero kit, universal 18. Still like it with that arrow screen attached to it. Less so. Would certainly love a, a new chassis with arrow screen built into it. Something that looks phenomenal. More like a, a fighter jet than, I don't know, whatever you'd call what we have now. But again, that's just spoken by someone with many decades of context. Uh filtered and applied over what i see now maybe to some of you who are newer fans um you might look at it and go cool it's the only thing i've ever known to be an indie car with an arrow screen and i like it or again who knows but the two things that stand out if i'm talking about things we need to improve jake one of them is this this topic of new hybridization is going to be a costly thing that's why nobody is pushing hard i should say nobody very few are pushing hard for an overall update of chassis engine arrow looks just across the board i do think that's important though and not just because i've seen much prettier indie cars and or ones that look more futuristic or cool it's 
the majority of IndyCar's major rivals and competitors. IMSA is a great one that stands out as an example, right? IMSA getting its butt handed to them pretty regularly in TV ratings and attendance and everything by IndyCar. Uh, this year, with IMSA's move to its new hybrid GTP cars, uh, there has been an uptick in ratings, in attend- in everything. There is more interest in IMSA than since the series was relaunched under the name of IMSA in 2014. Huge. Why? New cars, modern cars, modern technology, energized the auto manufacturers, energized fans. They look great, sound great. There's a diversity of technology, and there's also this electrification side, which is hyper-relevant. NASCAR going to its next-gen cup car. Again, I think it looks better, sounds, does everything about it's better, newer, fresher. There's a feeling of that, fresher, newer, better. And I'm not saying NASCAR is as popular as it once was, but there's pretty darn good energy around it. F1, same exact thing. Forget all the drive to survive stuff, just new chassis, formula, new looks, new, you name it. And there's same strong energy and motion behind it. This is a clear indicator that these three major series that IndyCar either competes directly with or in whatever way, all gone new, all seeing really significant responses to it, all heading in better, more prosperous directions. NASCAR with Cup is the only one that has some caveats in here. I get it, right? Not every track's as full as it once was with fans. And again, I get that. I'm just saying, though, I haven't heard anyone say we shouldn't have gone to the next-gen cup car. It has set us back. It has reduced audiences, reduced. I haven't heard that. And if that's been said many times, then it's just my ignorance. But if we're talking number one state of the series item, this is it, right? Uh, The sooner IndyCar can move towards something, that freshens the formula looks different looks cooler better more futuristic has already has that electrification box that's been ticked but things where you go how do we really demonstrate that and get folks really more interested in the technical side of what we're doing because they aren't these are all things that can only help and also help i would say more than just showing up with the same old looking thing year after year where even though F1's new formula is now almost two years old, folks are still really wound up about it. All the differences and what's new and what's cool and right. Give teams, give sponsors, give fans something new and interesting to celebrate. And I got to believe more folks will care. Not saying it's going to double the audience size, but if what you're trotting out is a 10, 12, 13, 15 year old story, and folks have seen the story and read it and know it, and they keep coming back to see if you got something. No, no new chap, same old story. And they look around everywhere else and go, hey, they got a new story over here. Let me go read that. Let me go look. Let me go see what that's about there's something to it 
it's not specific to racing it's just life in general it's why companies products you name it rebrand change colors new logos new you name it new slow trying to keep things fresh and new to get folks connected and bought into it we're going hybrid next year which is amazing but in the ers unit is amazing it's also completely hidden in the car and i don't know if and how folks are going to be made aware that it's functioning um that's a marketing job but the overall product it is super overdue for something fresh to get folks going hey have you seen the new thing in indycar and it's striking and folks want to take photos of it and want to do reels and stories about it and if folks still buy posters or prints want to put it up on a wall and stare at it it's been a long time since we've had the kind of energy around the the core thing that we use that makes this sport so interesting the last thing and i'll just keep this one way shorter we're talking about modernizing the the vehicle the tool to draw more interest the other concern i have is other series are putting in a lot of financial investment human investment hiring expanding departments that are younger and more digital than ever this is an area for sure that continues to feel like a blind or blinder spot for indycar just because the majority of the folks on the most executive level and layer are so disconnected from the digital world um that's a thing that i think about frequently like the utes we need more utes in real powers of influence and power more power more influence by younger and more directly connected folks to the digital world a lot of words written by me and spoken by me and others about tv and its importance and ratings again those things are still true at this moment but there is the need for a massive youth and modernization effort to take place within indycar itself not so much talking about on the operations side uh the running of the cars and the technical inspection i'm right not talking about once we get the cars to the track i'm talking about philosophies approaches embraces and understandings so you mentioned some sort of video game like yes <laughs> i remember at some point in time having to explain to my grandfather my mother's father who was born like legitimately like i think during world war one i remember having to explain to him in the middle of the 1980s what rap was what rap music was and this is one of those you know most uncomfortable things ever of the like whatever i was 13 or 14 year old person having to explain to my 70 year old or whatever grandfather what rap music was right and you go 
I love you. I love that you've asked because I guess, again, you've seen it in print in your reader's digest or whatever, but I'm happy to explain it, but I'm not, it's kind of cringy, but it just feels like there are few too many things these days that involve having to explain to a grandparent what rap music is and change the times and eras move things move words around to explaining tiktok tickety talk and the video games and nope nope this nope you don't put quarters in these nope these these are things that you actually download from the interwebs and maybe but there could be a console type thing you could buy but like you just realize that not saying that titans of industry can't grasp all of this and master everything about it but i am saying that if i'm talking about how do we bring gaming back to a motor racing series or a full throttle embrace of digital and a serious budget behind it and lots of staff who really know this stuff behind it i'm just wanting to stare at folks that are half my age because i know for sure this is theirs this is their culture all they've grown up in, everything they know, and know so much more than I do. It's when you're having to explain rap music to your parents' parents where you go, I know I just said a bunch of words, and they nodded, but I don't know if if, I, if we're really in full agreement as to what this thing is. So uh, that's the, the last bit there. Let me look at uh, how many more questions we have to get through before we farewell this episode not a ton uh, our pal elaine sinclair she says do you know of any unsubstantiated did i pronounce that correctly i don't know unsubstantiated potentially totally fictional no idea who said it because it certainly wasn't me rumors about who might be moving up from the usf championships or nxt ranks i know all the standard ones but surely you have some <coughs> cough cough throat clear juicier gossip okay I am ready to announce, finally, I've been holding this one specifically for you, Elaine, that Team Penske is expanding. They're going back to four cars. That's right. Victor Franzoni, step on up to IndyCar. You're my guy. Uh, I don't. What I need to do, and I think I mentioned this last week, Elaine, and I still suck just like I did last week, uh, I need to get on the good old phonity phone with my guy, Jaron Demendal, who is my real insider for all things Junior Open Wheel. And I could probably also call Rob Howden, who's like super Jedi level there as well. Um, I am leaving out the door in about 36 hours and headed to Monterey for five days. So again, that's not like, a, oh, you poor guy. Um, that's just more of a, I'll be heading down for Ren Sport from Wednesday morning through Sunday. So what that means is I'm really only home for two days this week. And that means getting on the phone with, uh, my guy, Jaron Demendal, uh, is probably not possible. And she's trying to be sneaky, but I'm holding on to her. My wife is in here. Hi mama. Say hello. Say hello. Come on, mama. Say, she says hello. That's my love of my life, Shabrell, right there. Just snuck in to say hello. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, 
I need to get on the phone with folks who are more plugged in than I. And I hope to do that maybe next week. So I apologize. I was supposed to be in Monterey for four days, but then realized things are going to be so busy Thursday through Sunday. The only way to really get some cool stuff done without the pressure of on-track sessions and a bunch of everybody being super scheduled down to the minute was to go down a day early, turning this into a five-day uh, trip here, <laughs> again, kind of on the back end of the season. So uh, going to do that, and then I hope next week uh, to be able to get you some real proper answers. But you say you already kind of know what's happening here, uh, so I'm probably not telling you a whole bunch. But uh, I spoke, by the way, just before we started recording with our guy, you're reigning, defending. Actually, I hope he's not defending, but uh, until he's signed by an IndyCar team, Christian Rasmussen also spoke with Oliver Askew, so your 2019 and 2023 Indy Lights slash Indy NXT by Firestone champions. Um, talking about how their test with Ed Carpenter Racing went. Our guy Ed Carpenter, almost true to form. One ring, straight to voicemail. Ed has the fastest thumbs ever, so love that guy. But uh, yeah, was hoping to speak with Ed and get his thoughts on the test, but uh, only got the kids, so I need to write that up here once we're done. But yeah, I think Rasmussen should be an IndyCar. Please be an IndyCar. I do not want to see two consecutive seasons where the champion uh, isn't picked up in a full-time ride and has to scrape and find something. So want to see him and ask you in full-time roles. So whether one of them gets the Ed Carpenter Racing opportunity full season in that number 20 or a Dale coin or a wherever else. Uh, I'm hoping we get both. I just know that I'm super hoping the kid who just won the title is not uh, looked past. Um, Hunter McElray trying to get to IndyCar. Think he can raise the funds to do a partial season. I know that cause I've spoken with him and um, we'll see if and where that heads. Nolan Siegel, your rookie of the year. Uh, I believe he's returning to NXT, I hope he does. If so, he'd be one of my two uh, preseason champion picks, assuming good old Louis Foster, who just did his first IndyCar test, that being with Andretti, returns as well, which I hope that he does. I think those two, wow, they could put on an epic fight for the title. Not expecting our guy Jacob Abel to be doing anything IndyCar-related next year. Famous last words, who knows, but he was really impressive. Daniel Frost, we mentioned ad nauseum. We expect him to be confirmed full-time at Dale Coin Racing. If he isn't, that would be a surprise. After that, there's a rumor, Elaine, that Kiffin Simpson might be going in IndyCar, but I need to check my sources on that. I think they might be wrong. Um, Yeah, I don't really know of anyone seriously coming out of NXT, the big name headed there that we know for sure, Miles Rowe, and he'll be a rookie. The the Seagulls and the Fosters would be year two guys, but uh, knowing that he uh, he seems to be pretty darn good, I think he's going to be pretty solid right away. So, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. And other than that, let me move on and try and get those folks I mentioned on the phone. We'll do a dedicated episode just uh, we're going to call it the Elaine wants to know American Junior open wheel stuff episode. 
Um, Laura Rose, you say with the season over, I'm curious how Andretti now feels about their decision to swap strategists between Colton Herta's car and good old Kirk Kirkwood's car. Say, do all parties seem happy with the current arrangement? Is there a possibility of Brian Herta working with Colton again? Don't know. Uh, it's definitely worth asking the team. I thought with our guy Rob Edwards, a.k.a. Uncle Rob, moved over to Colton's car to close the season. It did seem like a pretty darn solid move. I thought they worked well together haven't since things have been pretty busy since the season ended right headed to uh indianapolis on a flight what three days uh the wednesday right after the race haven't really had a chance since then to reach out so apologies there but it is a good question to ask um brian's often credited for being amazing as a strategist i think that credit's fully amazing with as much experience that colton now has and knowing that rob edwards has decades of experience externally laura i look at that and go i think that should be good i don't know if i see any need to change there i think the moving brian over to kirkwood's car kirkwood being sophomore this year but also his first season with andretti i thought adding that veteran strategist uh psychologist overall shaper of mindsets cooling of fires or warming things up if needed i thought that was the genius move of the year and we obviously saw that pay off with the kid getting two wins and looking really strong in those wins so i don't see this as some do laura of whoa you took brian away from colton and he didn't win any races and that's kind of a one-to-one ratio and if you put him back well then he just starts winning again i think colton could have won at least one race with rob edwards on the timing stand i would imagine with rob there next year he'll win two races at least uh but i do think that for where kyle is in his young indycar driver development arc having a brian there to help him um Boy, it sure seems like it's paying off. And having Kyle be the best and strongest version of himself in year three with Brian continuing to play that role, I love that idea more than I do seeing a Rob and Brian swap, for example, just because Colton's got it. Colton's good. Rob's really good. Um, I'd like to see Colton show that he can win races with Rob and just get back into the win column uh, for himself without there having to be an element of, all right, well, we need to move people around to make that possible for you. Uh, Our pal Maggie Kuhn. Hey, Maggie, say hi to Jeff for me as well. She says, hey, pals, wondering, why don't they make tracks with rubber already in them? So when they race, they don't have to lay down rubber. Then the water can't wash it away. Well, I love that idea only issue here is rubber being i guess i don't know rubber uh give it enough heat give it enough snow or ice or cold this is something where we do see you leave tires out and stationary right they start to crack become brittle Uh, think about a car that's been sitting in a barn for however many years or in the driveway 
um not just a case of them losing air over the years it's also being out and exposed in those elements over and over again crack become brittle fall apart that's exactly what would happen if little pieces of rubber were put into um track layer that gets put down uh that would basically break away after time and no longer be there and if anything add some extra porosity or maybe instability to the track itself because you'd have that void of the rubber that's kind of become hard and broken off and maybe been uh taken off the track from rain or wind or just driving over it um you'll say on the tracks um where everyone's sliding off the sides of why don't they just make paint with stuff in it to make it less slick maybe these are silly questions to ask but i was just wondering no that's why we do the show here pal these don't all have to be like i'm a super expert and tell me if or and you're wrong prove you know like hey throw them in love this stuff maggie yeah that's one of the things that uh the folks at laguna sake are talking about of like hey we got this new pavement and cool but everyone's like running up to the line if not over and constantly kicking up dust and dirt so how do we widen the track a little bit in those areas but not make it like usable track surface where we've just simply added another foot to the outside of the corner and now folks are going to go up to that edge and get into the dust and dirt and so this was was something that they're thinking about and maybe it's adding the little kind of undulations right the little waves to it on the outside where you go okay uh, there's some extra distance between the the width the edge of the usable portion of the track and that dust or dirt or whatever it is that might get kicked up or thrown back onto the track so we want to create some separation between the edge of the usable surface and that yucky stuff over there how do we do that and they, this is what they're talking about it's just more of a it's going to unsettle the car and slow you down and or make it want to snap sideways so let's keep you off the the dirt and the sand or the whatever but also prohibit you from using this extra track stuff we'd lay down from being used as things to try and go faster uh randy worley you say my understanding is that a paying driver gets their income from sponsors they bring not sure if that's directly from the sponsor or through the team you say i know each scenario is different but generally in a situation like marcus erickson where you go from paying to be paid what happens to the funds you were previously getting you say do you still get that plus your salary does that now go to the team well as i understand things if we use the marcus example uh he had a longtime backer and finn rousing owns husky chocolate and a bunch of other things plus the alfa romeo f1 team and finn who sponsored him supported his career forever spending money directly with chip ganassi racing to fund the car i think in marcus's case i don't believe there was any financial transaction between himself and the ganassi team i think that whatever his income was was between himself and his backer with what he has going on at andretti and i'm unaware of him bringing any sponsorship there now granted do we see husky chocolate as a small thing somewhere maybe because again i mean he is now an andretti employee granted i'm sure his company or llc or s corporation or whatever 
is contracted with a team instead of like him showing up, you know, on new hire day to uh, sign in with all the other folks on their first day of working for Andretti. But in this case, he would be receiving a salary as a paid race car driver from Andretti. I do not know of or believe that there's any, you know, Husky or, or similar things coming to the car. If I'm wrong, I'm totally wrong. I just haven't heard about that being a thing. But again, I've only heard about Marcus actually being hired by Andretti to drive a race car for them. We'll see who the sponsors are. Uh, in his case, I think it's just a scenario where there's no way that there's money being paid for him to drive. So therefore, it'd just be a significant saving to Finn Rousing. Um, if we're talking about another driver like in Alex Pillow, you know, he did come to IndyCar with some support uh, from his super formula team owner but since then uh know that he's been paid to drive and so yeah again through his what alpa racing business or whatever it's called the one that's being sued unfortunately by mclaren um i would have to assume like most drivers they're not receiving a direct salary their company is being paid um and so money is sent from ganassi to that business account however many times whether it's twice a month or once a month or once again i don't know what their arrangements are but that's the kind of normal thing there for others right as you mentioned it all depends so if it's the son of a wealthy business owner might be mom or dad who give that driver x amount of money living money or whatever um if it's someone who's a pretty good hustler, right? And hustler is not said in a critical way. Uh, Charlie Kimball comes to mind, right? Found a great sponsor, Novo Nordisk, uh, that sponsored him forever. Well, Charlie has a sponsor, sponsor to bring. He is making whatever amount from that because, again, it is his relationship and the money that this relationship he's developed with the sponsor that they're willing to spend on his behalf with a team and so most likely well i should say most likely again whether that's income he negotiates directly with the sponsor and they pay him x and the team gets y or that's negotiated where a lump sum goes to the team and from that he takes whatever percentage um that's also a pretty common thing uh, so yeah, a lot of different ways this gets done, whether it's the the wealthy son or daughter or whomever uh, who you know maybe just leads a pretty charmed life and gets to drive race cars as well, paid for by their parents, and you know they have a house and cars and whatever stuff that are paid for. Um, could be someone who goes and finds sponsors and says, "Hey, I'm taking whatever percent and." That's often the negotiating part with the team because the team obviously wants as much money as they can get, but so does the person who found it. So again, interesting how some of those things work out. And Marcus Erickson's probably the, the biggest unicorn of all because we just really haven't seen this story happen before where you come in as a fully paying driver and transition to being fully paid. So great question, Randy. Thank you. Ryan Caminiti, you are penultimate askerer of questions. 
Um, MP, if you had a blank slate, what engine formula or regulation would you author to entice a third manufacturer? See if the regulations were open to different configurations that could achieve similar power levels. Would that help get another OEM to come play? Yeah. So on the first, look, I'm really partial to that cart IndyCar 2.65 liter turbocharged V8 formula. During that time, during the cart 2.65 liter formula, granted, that wasn't the only one. That just proved to be the most popular. There was a 3.4 liter turbo V6. Buick did that. That then became Menards, I believe. Um, We had some twin turbos being tried, single turbos being tried. Uh, There was pretty decent latitude to try stuff back in the cart days. Uh, More maybe in the late 70s, early 80s than we saw afterwards in terms of different cylinder counts and capacity sizes and forced induction styles. But yeah, that 2.65 single turbo V8, boy, those things sounded amazing, made great power, great torque. Like they were just awesome. Uh, So yeah, I'd love to have that back because I just think there was never anything wrong about it. Uh, Only when manufacturers started going haywire and pretty much doing what's felt like one engine per session, if not one engine per day. Um, and yeah, the costs involved were insane, but the later years of like champ car with more of that spec formula mindset, I believe it's also the same style of one used in Brian Herta's Renard that ran on the Wednesday at Laguna Seca. Um, not saying going to a spec motor, uh, but just one where you go, okay, we're not going to rev it as much because revs, the higher the revs, the more it costs. But let's keep this 2.65 liter turbo V8 formula, but let's not go insane so the prices aren't insane. I think there's something pretty cool in there, and you could still incorporate hybridization, as we've seen proven with this uh, current IndyCar formula. Your last item here, Ryan, that is key. And I know it's the thing that freaks people out in IndyCar and team owners if you talk about it. But yeah, the we're going to give you a really narrow formula to work within. If you want to join our series, we'd love to have you. But boy, uh, creativity ain't it. I think that's one of the issues we're looking at, right? Spoke about GTP just a moment ago. I know that F1's not this way, and I know NASCAR's not this way, so it's not like I have a bunch of other great examples to back up what I'm saying, but I do look at GTP and go, hey, Cadillac, you want to do a a 5.5-liter naturally aspirated V8, naturally aspirated meaning non-turbo? Go for it. Attach that energy recovery system, boom, off you go. Hey, Porsche, you want to take a naturally aspirated V8 you already have? stroke it up from 3.4 to what 4.6 liters so make it bigger and stouter and add twin turbos to it and stick those turbos on top of the motor go for it hey bmw you've got a naturally aspirated v8 that you use in a different series and you want to bring it over here stick a couple turbos on it cool do it hey acura what you got that 2.4 liter twin turbo v6 indycar motor but when you decided to do that you also realize that well this could actually be 
used in more than one place and we could also have this be our gtp motor and it'll be high revving and it'll be smaller than everything else in the series but it's really cool do it cool rock on so from the biggest motor being a five and a half liter stump pulling like amazing best sounding motor in gtp with that cadillac v8 to acura slash honda with this tiny 2.4 liter twin turbo v6 variety and so you have one of these four models and we have something new coming next year from lamborghini there could be some more as well but if you have an acura go by you followed by a bmw followed by a cadillac followed by a porsche they sound very different which is compelling they look different which is really compelling and they're fast as hell and we know they're filled with technology that class that series on the rise thriving all because of gtp just saying here brother and i realize i'm maybe coming back on a point i've already made but a little harder to do this mass variety of displacements and cylinder counts and all that in indycar but back in the day we did have v6 indycar engines competing against v8 indycar engines didn't really do the inline four-cylinder turbos against them at a time where the inline fours were really competitive that being the offenhauser the offy they made tons of power but again that was kind of more back in the day 2.65 liter cosworth dfx turbo v8 really kind of put them to bit put the offy to bed after 50 or 60 years but i know hey a v6 versus a v8 might not sound like great variety but to me the key here is give auto manufacturers some wiggle room to try some different things if one is really beholden to a specific type of combustion engine and the others are beholden to others cool bring them in we'll find a way we don't need to equalize them as well right we don't need to like penalize one for being too good or help one for sucking like if these are real quality manufacturers that we want to engage we know that you can create rules to allow them to excel with their choice and then imagine that the better idea winning the motor race and maybe at milwaukee this flat high speed oval a specific motor is more suited to that task than the others and it wins and then we go to road america where it's crazy long straights and maybe there's another motor that excels there and it wins like man it's been some some of y'all have never known this some of y'all have never witnessed or experienced indycar where the honda on the day was better than the toyota or the mercedes was better than the ford or the buick was better than the whatever it's kind of never the buick but i just decided to throw that in there um the judd was as good or better than the ilmore like this has existed in our lifetime my lifetime at least maybe not yours so yeah there were a lot of things that blew up and caused either the formula or those series to go sideways but i gotta believe we've learned enough to allow some creativity as imsa has done 
without it breaking the bank. Um, this, to me, is the kind of thing that entices as our cat Rocky walks in front of me and shows me his backside. Thanks, Rock. Nice job. Um, these things are possible. All right, we're going to close the show with our pal, James Bethay. Hope you and your bride and that beautiful baby boy of yours are doing super well, James. Uh, you say, are we going to have a year-end award show like you did a few years ago? This question also applies to the Weekend Sports Car Show as well. Um, thanks to our guy, <laughs> Jerry Suddeth, who puts our questions together, he reminded me that, yes, we did and do do this, I think, in 2020. Um, I need to go back and find that show. Or if one of y'all are super gurus and can go to my marshallpruittpodcast.com site and find faster than I can and send me the link, please do. Um, I don't remember what the questions were. I, or I'm sorry, the award categories were. I think I just made them up, which is a lot of what I do. And posted those for you to respond to and ask y'all if i remember correctly to present the uh the nominees and potentially the winners of those awards in those categories so i love the idea james i would like to at least for the indycar show and yeah i need to find that and then Maybe trying to remember exactly what we did, but I love the idea. I also think since that was a COVID year, I think there was a lot that was made up. So that maybe fit then a little more than what would have occurred to me to do it again here. But thanks to you, yeah, I'm in for it. Probably wouldn't be until November. Like legitimately, my active racing season doesn't end until I get back from Petit Le Mans in the middle of October. And even then, I still have one more event in November. And I think there's another IMSA GTP test at Daytona in early <laughs> December. So maybe, I don't know, pick something for me to write that'll piss off RP so he can yell at me and spit in my face again there in the paddock as birthday president. President? Present. Um, and then I might even still try to get to another IndyCar hybrid test. So, yeah, things are not slowing down anytime soon, my friend. But uh, I love the idea and listener-generated ideas uh, are pretty much always going to win. All right. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers. Absolutely love our friends at torontomotorsports.com and our newest friend at Discount Tire. Speak to you very soon.